Hi, this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today, we're joined by a guest co-host, Lauren Vogelbaum. Hello, that's me. Hi, Lauren. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, anytime. Um, or I mean, maybe not literally anytime because I already do a lot of other things. Yes, including a show, a little show you may have heard of that we co-host together. Once Food Stuff, it is now called Savor. 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 Um, it just relaunched last week. We were traveling, we're eating lots of food, drinking lots of drinks. Yeah. A lot of people. Talking to some amazing people and uh, incorporating clips from those interviews into our stories about different foods and uh, food cultures. So... It's pretty, I, I think it's okay. <laughs> yeah, we're not biased in no, this at all. No, certainly not. <laughs> no. And Lauren has, you've been on the show before, have you not? I have. Back uh, back when Kristen and Caroline were, were the hosts, I was on an episode about Buffy the Vampire Slayer because I bugged them for years about doing an episode about <laughs> Buffy. <laughs> it, well, you succeeded. It was a, a long, hard-fought campaign. but It you, was. You got what you wanted in the end. <laughs> And that's one of the reasons I wanted you to come on this week to fill in for Bridget because um, you like horror. I like horror. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We talk about this all the time. We do. On Savory. We do. Um, And I feel like uh, real life has started to feel a little horror movie-esque. Only just started, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... We originally today we were going to talk about, and we are going to talk about the trope of in horror movies. Why don't people believe women? And it turned into that, but also so much real life stuff. Yeah, I I'm guessing that some of you have seen or heard the phrase "believe women." Yeah, being tossed around lately. Yeah, so the, there's that whole trend, believe women, trending on Twitter in response to the accusations of assault made against Supreme Court Justice nominee Brett Kavanaugh and the complete dismissal of these accusations or even, like, just don't, like, people don't care um, in, the, in a lot of cases. Um, and you've probably all heard these numbers before, but I think they're worth repeating. Sexual assault is all too common. Some estimates say one in five women, and it's more common than we think in men as well. We, we don't hear about that as often, but mm-hmm. it should be part of the conversation. Absolutely. And only somewhere from 2 to 8% of sexual assault accusations are found to be false. But the conversations we have around this would suggest that false accusations just happen all of the time. Right. Yeah. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think even outside of sexual assault, people just don't believe women. And I can think of so many examples in my life where I've said something like, hey, I like this song, and been interrogated about it <laughs> by a dude as if that, there's no way you know this song, you like this song, you've never heard that song. Yeah. What? In like a fake geek girl way? Like like you were trying to impress them Yeah. by saying that? Yeah. And it was weird because <laughs> I'm thinking of one particular instance, and it got to the point where another guy who I didn't know very well stepped in the conversation and said, dude, she said she likes it. <laughs> I don't I don't know what was going on. <laughs> it wasn't even that, quote, 
manly of a thing. In fact, I would argue that that's more traditionally feminine type music, but whatever. Um, another example is how I'm happy sing- single. People, that's impossible. You're just... You don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> young lady. Yeah. You're just miserable. You don't know how to recognize it yet, but you'll you'll understand. Um, and I found a lot of studies researching this that show that managers are less likely to be, believe women who ask for flex time as compared huh. to men. They think their priorities are divided with family. Oh, okay. Yeah. It couldn't be because... They're human people. They're human people. No. No, only men are people. Women are women. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's the heart of this whole thing. Uh, have you ever experienced something like this? Uh, geez, it feels like about once a week. Um, yeah. uh, my, my favorite is along the fake geek girl thing when... When guys, uh, guys don't usually argue with me about it, but um, but I get this response from dudes sometimes where they are shocked beyond belief that I like this geeky thing that they also like. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, but, I'm like, well, but what? They're like, well, but you're a girl. And I'm like, yes, and I like Batman. I don't know why <laughs> everyone likes Batman. <laughs> it's it's strange. And another example, and thinking about this this morning got me so mad, Um. Uh, I, I have a bunch of intolerances to a bunch of different foods, bell peppers, onions, stuff like that, which I discovered by getting like really sick repeatedly from eating dishes that contain even just a little bit of those things and kind of like process of elimination, no pun intended, figuring <laughs> out that it's those specific foods. Um, and yeah, I, I had a dude argue with me about how just just a little bit can't possibly hurt you. <laughs> It can't possibly. Oh, okay. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> do I need to record bathroom noises and send them to you? Like, I don't. He'd probably never talk to you again. Uh, that's one way to get that rid of That could solve the problem, yeah. This is true. Yeah, I've mentioned before on this show that um, I, I often get the fake geek girl thing all of the time. And then once you finally have proven yourself, then it's like suddenly they're super attracted to me, at least in my right. case. Yeah. And I'm like, so your qualifications are <laughs> you want someone who's fluent in, in Marvel, and that is kind of a reflection of you. Hmm. <laughs> well, that's for a different episode. <laughs> we also talked about this this whole thing of not believing women in our episode on women in pain, how the medical community consistently dismisses women who who come and try to get help for pain specifically, and it takes so much longer to get a diagnosis for traditionally women's um, issues, which is really frustrating. Oh, absolutely. And, and this also ties into an intersectional issue. The medical community also doesn't believe people of color pretty frequently. Studies have shown that implicit biases lead doctors to prescribe fewer painkillers and less aggressive treatments to black patients than white patients, even when the patients present the exact same symptoms. So there's there's a lot of issues there. There's a lot of stuff that we need to work on. But in this episode, we're going to try to use horror movies as a semi-fun lens to tackle a, a very depressing and frustrating issue. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Um, like we talked about in our final girl episode, horror movies are really great reflections of the anxieties we have. Oh yeah, as a society, or or the observations or hangups, just in general, I think horror movies are a great way to sort of 
test out where we are. Do a little, a little. Um, yeah, just see, just see, see what's going on in the mind of the common, common person. Yeah, and if if horror movies are anything to go by, or horror media in general, we do not believe women or people of color. Yes, both. All right. So even if we don't. Even if you don't, because Lauren and I do, <laughs> even if you don't watch a lot of horror movies, you have probably seen this before. In crime procedurals and supernatural thrillers, anything like that, you've seen a character, most likely a female or a minority or both, say, hey, I don't like this. Let's go back um, <laughs> and get ignored. And then probably they're both killed or maybe it's a bigger group, all killed by a monster in the woods or a serial killer in the woods or what have you. Mm -hmm. Or if the woman survives, the police don't believe her then. But I I will admit uh, the monster killed my boyfriend might be a bit of a stretch (laughs) for me. I would would want to conduct some further investigation. Yes. (laughs) Believe women find the truth. Yeah, I like that. Which I've seen presented as a as a useful thing in in these are non-horror. I'm not going to say they're non-horror. In these are regular times. In these are non-movie times? Yes, those times. What if it's a big conspiracy and we're all in a movie? (gasps) Oh, man. What a downer of a movie it is. (laughs) 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 Okay. Um, So while most horror movie tropes can be seen as moralistic or cautionary tales, this one seems more... Just assumed. Yeah. Um, Take this scene from Night of the Living Dead. Partly because it illustrates the point and partly because it's in the public domain. Oh, yeah. Here's a clip. Well, you used to really be scared here. Johnny. You're still afraid. Stop it now. I mean it. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. He'll hear you. Here he comes now. I'm getting out of here. Johnny. Spoiler alert. It was a zombie. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Barbara was right. Barbara was right. And we were talking about this off mic, and the trope is sort of one of necessity. If the woman was like, I don't like this, let's go home. And instead of calling her a scaredy cat, the dude was like, yeah, okay. Story ends. Yeah, there's no no movie then, probably. But it is interesting that a good percent of the time, it is a woman or a person of color or both that is the one raising the the concern and then getting ignored. Totally ignored, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much so that when it's not a woman or a person of color, it's strange. Like, it's, a, it's usually a purposeful reversal. It becomes the whole point. Like, it was mind-blowing in the X-Files that Mulder... The guy yeah. was the one jumping to these crazy conclusions that usually turned out to be right. And Scully was the scientific skeptic. Mm-hmm. A woman who's a scientist. Weird. What? Impossible. Um, or, or when the, the stoner character in Cabin in the Woods tells everyone that, you know, I've got a bad feeling about this. It's played for laughs. You know, the other characters tell him to, to man up and that the weed has you paranoid, man. <laughs> um, and, of course, he's right, though. And the weed is what saves him. Right. And and note also that this very frequently happens to child characters. Yeah. Uh, like, basically none of the Harry Potter series would have happened if the kids and the adults trusted each other enough to fill each other in. But the kids thought that they wouldn't be believed, and the adults thought that the kids couldn't handle it. The fact that this trope happens to women, people of color, and children, 
I think really speaks to how infantilized those two groups that are not children <laughs> yeah. are. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and it, I've thought about this a lot because, as as listeners know, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. And uh, it's another one of those things where the books wouldn't have happened if that trust had been there. Yeah. Like, a lot of children's books do operate on that. Right. Um, and when I reread them as an adult, I had to step back because I kept getting so angry thinking, why aren't the adults <laughs> helping, helping them? <laughs> right? Oh, man. Yeah, there's... Uh, it's it's infuriating. Um, but, but, yeah, like, like, interestingly, the way that the trope does play out, um, disbelieving these people is to everyone's detriment. Like, you know, from either just the main characters in the movie to, like, the whole world, people suffer and perish because they aren't believing these adult human people. Yeah. These intelligent human beings. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's a subconscious <laughs> yeah. addition or, yeah. Um, however, I do think that this trope of, of these people being right can also play into the sexist trope of women being preternaturally or even magically intuitive. Um, this is a, a witch woman trope, you know, the idea that ladies are just so mysterious. Who knows what's going on in our heads? Our thought processes are just so different. Um, you know, the, the idea that men are logical or observational and women are emotional or intuitive. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, and I was thinking that it's another way... Or it can be used as another way to victim blame. Right, totally. Like, you should have intuited. <laughs> and then right. we do, and no one believes, believes us. <laughs> Super and, frustrating, yeah. Yeah, and, and I would say that, like, a high level of observational logic can look like intuition. Mm -hmm. um, similar to Arthur C. Clarke's often quoted adage that um, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from, from magic. Um, like if you take Sherlock Holmes, his whole shtick is that it seems like he's intuiting uh, impossibly or, or even magically until he just breaks down his very rational observations. And he's often portrayed as being fey or feminine or otherwise non-masculine, maybe because of that, maybe alongside that. I don't know. It's a weird... Yeah, yeah. And we're going to come back a little bit to this whole women's intuition and horror movies thing, but that is... It. I do like that point that it can seem magical, but really you're just reasoning at a oh yeah very high level. Yeah, I mean, and I you you kind of you kind of see it you kind of see it everywhere. You, you've got you know the the fortune teller, the wise woman, the woman healer or midwife. If you add in a dash of racism, you've got the so-called gypsy or voodoo woman. Um, if you're if you're in a fictional universe that incorporates magic, then like okay, we we can talk about those characters, you know, bo both with the, the metaphors that are in use there and also with the actual history of those medicinal and uh, religious practices and the fact that women have been accused of witchery yeah. all over the place. Um, but it's so fascinating to me that even in horror, set in a non-magical universe where the villain is just a regular dude, you, you still get this trope. Um, it'll have that moment, yeah, that we're talking about where the woman or the token racial minority will express that seemingly intuitive thought. It, this feels wrong. I don't like it. It's not, it's not magic. They're just paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much. There's a great article over at Tor written by Emily Asher Parent about this whole thing, and it was so helpful when researching this, and we're going to be referencing it 
throughout, should you want to look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called uh, The Peril of Being Disbelieved, Horror and the Intuition of Women. Yes. And we have just so many examples for you. (laughs) But first, we're going to stop for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So in thinking about this, the more we thought about it, the more and more examples we came up with. Oh, yeah. I started realizing that it's in everything. Yes. But we wanted to point out a, a, a couple, a couple like really big, strong ones. Yes. And I, I wanted to start with one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite horror movies, Scream. And Scream 2, which is also good. Um, and this is a great example of what we're talking about. For those of you who haven't seen these movies, they follow Sidney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell, who in the first one is a teenager in high school, and she's tormented by the ghost face killer. Um, I'm sure you've seen the sort of grim reaper costumes. Yeah, it looks like the scream, the painting. Oh, uh, yeah, it yeah. does look like that. Yeah. Um, or how I imagine the Grim Reaper would look, but I don't know if that's influenced by this or vice versa. I sure. don't know. But um, <laughs> that's what the killer or killers wears in these movies. Oh, yeah, there's there's going to be spoilers in here. Just, oh, just, yeah. F- just FYI. I feel like the, isn't the, the window is passed. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're really concerned about it, yes, <laughs> FYI. Um, as we talked about, in a, a little bit in our final girl episode, Scream is a hyper-aware horror movie. It's a horror movie making fun of horror movies. Yeah. It's playing off the tropes. It knows the tropes. It knows that you know the tropes. Oh, yeah. And it uses that to mess with you. I love the first time I saw the first one, I thought almost every character was the killer at some point. <laughs> I loved it because they were so great. They knew you were looking for those. Oh, for those little cues, yeah. Uh-huh, which is excellent. <laughs> um, and this trope of not being believed, with a touch of gaslighting in this case, is certainly played with here because it turns out Sydney's boyfriend, uh, the person who keeps telling her everything's going to be all right, stop being so obsessed with the past, you're really overreacting, he's the serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. He um he knew he knew well I don't know if you can say the character knew the trope but he knew that was a way to like <laughs> I think he did he's obsessed with horror movies that's true that that's an interesting thing about these movies too is that the killers usually reference horror movies at the end as like yeah. I took um <laughs> I got I was influenced by Anthony Perkins and Psycho <laughs> like yeah um yeah that's another interesting aspect about these but um. If we move to Scream 2, Scream 2 gets super meta, and I love it. At this point, Sydney is in college, and one of her extracurricular activities is drama. Okay. And, oh yeah, she's being tormented again by a ghost face killer. And anyway, her starring role is Cassandra from Greek mythology. And if you haven't heard or aren't familiar with Cassandra, she was the daughter of Troy's last king. And Troy as in Helen of. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The god Apollo was super in love with Cassandra, and he gave her the ability to see into the future and hopes that that would win her over. 
It didn't, though. No, didn't mm-hmm. work. Mm-mm. And uh, she she wasn't into it, so he put a curse on her that made sure no one would ever believe her prophecies. So she saw Agamemnon's death, the fall of Troy. She told people. No one believed her. And if you've heard, beware of Greeks bearing gifts, or possibly the translation is beware the Greeks, especially those bearing gifts, that is a quote from her. Ah, uh, yeah. In 1949, French philosopher Gaston Bacalard even named a syndrome after her, the Cassandra syndrome, to describe cases where legitimate concerns were raised and not believed. Oh, wow. Yes. Well. Which brings us back to Scream 2. Oh, right. Okay, <laughs> so Sydney isn't being believed. She's playing Cassandra. Yes. Oh, goodness. Um, there's a scene where they're rehearsing the play, and Sydney playing Cassandra... Uh, she has sort of this Greek chorus wearing masks behind her, kind of like the stone versions of those tragedy comedy faces. Okay. And the chorus begins to do this dance attack type thing at her. There's a lot of choreography involved. Um, <laughs> only she's not acting anymore because she sees that one of the actors is wearing the ghost face mask under their hood. But no one <laughs> believes her. And it's great because they're chanting, they're like chanting behind her, Hail Cassandra, no one believes you. <laughs> it's it's wild. Um, <laughs> and the finale of the movie takes place on that stage, and Sydney uses a lot of the props, the disorienting music, the lights, the heavy bags holding up the lights, the falling of styrofoam rocks and pillars, the fog machine in her battle <laughs> against the killer. And to me, it's kind of saying that we haven't really gone that far from ancient mythological Greece when it comes to believing women, that it's a battle that we're still fighting. But I've been known to perhaps read too much into horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here is a clip from the scene. Tell us, oh, Cassandra, where has the sweetness of life gone? Dramatic, right? Oh yeah, I, I, we were, we were just, we, we watched, we actually watched the clip in studio, we and, uh, <laughs> and, and producer Andrew and I, neither of us have seen this film in like about twenty years, and oh. so it, it's, I forgot how much I freaked out when that scene happened in the theater. It's great. Um, it, yeah, there are layers upon layers of um, it playing on on the first one on uh, the whole fear of the boyfriend now. Yeah. Of course, Randy, the character who has all the horror movie rules, has right. horror movie rules about <laughs> sequels. Um, when yeah. she goes to the police, they don't believe her when she says, I think it's this. And yeah. Like, no. Yeah, the entire sequel is basically about her not being believed. Yeah. Wow. It's a pretty good example for what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, also... I didn't know this, but there is an ABBA song about Cassandra, <laughs> and it's it goes like, "Sorry, I didn't believe you. You were right. Now we're all dead, or something like that." Heck, ABBA. Okay, I know. <laughs> getting getting serious there. Uh, I I have I have an example um, that that I wanted to discuss that isn't about women, but going back to the intersectionality of, of people of color, also having this happen in horror films. Um, I wanted to talk about Get Out. Yeah, this is another film that is very reflexive about its tropes. It expects you to have these certain expectations, and it uses that to mess with you. Um, if you have not seen it, 
and you like either horror films or ridiculously canny explorations of racism in liberal white America, stop this podcast right now and go watch it because A, it's really good, and B, I'm going to spoil everything. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. So. Yeah, okay. So, so Get Out is a story about a black man's intuitive fears being valid to the extreme. Mm-hmm. Our hero, Chris, has anxiety from the get-go about uh, driving out to the country to meet his white girlfriend's family. Uh, she assures him that everything will be fine. Uh-huh. Everything is not fine. Um, her family and their friends are like walking microaggressions, and the one other black dude there who is not a servant gives Chris this panicked, cryptic warning to get out. Yeah. Um, Chris is increasingly unsettled. He asks his girlfriend if they can leave, and you know what? She says yes. She's like, oh, of course. Of course we can go. She believes him immediately. And Chris's relief, and like mine watching this movie, is is intense and palpable. Right. Um, like, you never expect that to happen mm-hmm. in a scary movie, but oh, your character is being believed. Of course, this is, you know, a horror movie, so it's a trick. Right, <laughs> <She's>, of course. <laughs> she's in on her family's plot to kidnap Chris and supplant his consciousness with that of one of their white friends because Chris's body is healthy, their friends is not, and black lives don't matter. But y'all, that moment where she says that she believes him. I know. it's It, it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about how the purposeful, it seems so odd to have Scully be the skeptic and scientific right. one. It seems purposeful. That moment, I remember that too, being like, oh my gosh, it's so refreshing. Right. And then it's not. <laughs> it's totally on purpose. Ah. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, the film also explicitly portrays black people not being believed by police. Um, on, on the way to her family's house, Chris and the girlfriend hit a deer and a cop shows up a white cop, and uh, even though she was the one driving, the cop asks Chris for his ID and only backs off when the girlfriend insists that it's unfair and unnecessary. Um, and later, when Chris contacts a black friend about how weird everything is uh, out, at, out at the ranch, uh, the friend calls the police, but he is also dismissed. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that pays off with one more twist at the end that uh, was another moment that I was just like, Bruh! in the theater. Like, I didn't even know what was happening to my face. Um, so, so uh, you know, it's, it's the end sequence. Chris is fighting the girlfriend for his life, and he's winning. Yay! But, but out of the night, a police car approaches. And I, I've per- personally never been that scared by police showing up, and it was a profound privilege check for me. Mm-hmm. Like, it was one of those moments where I was just like, oh, 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 yeah. I get it. Thank you for telling me about it. I'm listening, and I'm so sorry for, like, not getting it previously. Um, and it turns out to be Chris's friend, who's a TSA agent, and I don't care that probably they don't get cars like that because, again, <laughs> just, like, that sense of relief. Like, you know, if it had been cops, cops never would have believed him. Our judiciary system never would have believed him. Um, I, and, and it turned out okay, which was, yeah, such a relief. Uh, I, I read that the original ending of, of the film actually had cops show up and that the final scene is Chris in, in jail or, or prison. Um, and I am so glad that Jordan Peele gave us that relief instead, even if it's probably not realistic. Yeah, I think I saw the alternate ending. I yeah. think you can see it, and it was so... It was just dismal. Yeah, it was quite dismal. Um, but that was another. that is another great example of a, a couple of things, a lot of things, but <laughs> the couple of things that we're talking about of horror movies being reflective of of society, 
and um, fears that we have in society and also just a, a movie that knows its tropes and messes with you because yeah. it knows that you know them too. <laughs> it's great. Ah, uh, yeah, so smart. Yeah. Well, well, to lighten things up a little bit here, here's some sillier examples I thought of. Yeah. Drive home how common this trope is. Hocus Pocus. Oh, yay. So I watched last night. Oh, it's a good movie. I stayed up very late. Or it's a silly movie. It's It's a both. movie I enjoy watching. That's probably the best way to describe <laughs> it. I watched it so much as a kid, it was banned from my household. <laughs> Not allowed to watch it. In fact, I didn't watch it from about the age of eight until about the age of 24. Oh, wow. Because of my parents. <laughs> nope, never again. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> um, when Danny, who's the little sister... Uh, tells her brother Max not to light the black flame candle. He goes right ahead and does it, she says. She's scared. She doesn't want to do it. It's a dumb idea. He's trying to impress the lady friend, but she doesn't want him to do it either. Yeah, she's like, I'm scared. Don't do that. Also, it's like a museum. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) We, my friends and I, played a drinking game to it last night. (laughs) Every time they said, um, Hollywood, you had to take a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Community. Uh, In Community, um, Britta does sort of a a bit about the steps to writing horror movies in one of the episodes, and she tells the story of a man and woman making out in a car, and the woman keeps hearing something, and the dude only agrees to check it out if she promises to give him sex when he returns. Oh, so he doesn't yeah. believe her, yeah. but he'll use it. But he'll use it to get sex. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, thriller, the music video, <laughs> which I'd never seen before. I'd seen the like short one, but there's a long 13-minute oh, one. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. Well, the whole plot thread is essentially this whole thing with Michael Jackson telling his date, don't be afraid because it's only a movie. But then, it, then of course, it turns out that it's not just a movie and she is followed by zombies. So that's encapsulated right there. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. <laughs> I enjoyed it quite a bit. Oh, and it just, like, like, yeah, like once we started thinking about it, it's hard not to pile up the, uh, the, the examples of it. Um, and I think it's interesting that in some of these stories... It's it's not just other people disbelieving women. It's women doubting themselves. Yeah. Stuff like The Babadook, uh, The Ring, Rosemary's Baby, Haunting of Hill House, Hereditary, The Shining, uh, Joyce Byers, and Stranger Things. I also think it's real interesting that all those characters are mothers. Yes. And I'm not sure what exactly that says. I think that's another episode about about motherhood in horror movies. But Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, all of these women finally do, like own the fact that something weird is happening and reach out for help and they're disbelieved. But Yeah. <laughs> uh, and speaking of Stranger Things, oh, okay, I keep getting excited. Uh, I do love that the two young women, um, Eleven and Nancy, are a lot more confident. Like, they don't doubt themselves. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're also dismissed, but but at least, you know, I don't know, like, it's it's bittersweet. Like, they, I think the point is is that they haven't had that confidence in their own senses ground out of them yet. That is... More bitter than sweet, perhaps. Yeah. But um, I I do enjoy that as well. Here's hoping that (laughs) these fictional characters keep fighting the good fight. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Right before we started podcasting, producer Andrew reminded us of Aliens. Oh, yeah. Not Alien 2. No. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it is the second one. It is aliens with an S and not alien, singular. But the, I just watched this recently as well because I do like a whole two-month horror movie thing. <laughs> um, and in the beginning, there's this committee of business people and lawyers questioning Ripley, Sigourney Weaver's character, about her experience on LV246 or whatever it is um, uh, with the alien, and no one believes her. Yeah. She keeps saying, like, it destroyed my crew, destroyed my ship. The only way I could get out was to jettison it and escape on this whole, on the little pod, and they're all like, Mm, like, acid comes out of its veins. <laughs> They're like, lady, that's patently silly. <laughs> that's just dumb. <laughs> Do you know how much money we lost? Yeah, yeah, they keep bringing that up, the whole yeah. money thing. Um, and then when she she's talking to the, the, the sort of marine, the alien marines, the space marines, alien marines, the space marines, um, yeah. and she's trying to share a story and to me is obviously like having difficulty it's clear she has this experience they sort of are just like okay (laughs) yeah sure (laughs) whatever yeah it's just not that scary yeah sure it's not that bad um pretty much in every episode of supernatural the tv series starts with this Uh some version of this sure a lot of episodes of Buffy too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and frequently it's one of the it's one of the actual Scooby Gang. Like the the number of times that Buffy herself is disbelieved by everyone around her is truly remarkable because it's just like y'all. <laughs> we like, did this last week <laughs> and the week before that. <laughs> um, paranormal Activity too, where it's kind of an interesting dynamic. And um, if you haven't seen this, you probably know the gist of it, but. Basically, it's this couple, and I her boyfriend, it's weird because it's like he believes her because he wants to. He believes that there's paranormal activity. He wants to capture it, but he doesn't believe her when she's telling him how serious and dangerous it is. Ah, uh-huh. So it's kind of a strange, like, he's excited by it. He keeps inviting it in, and she's saying, no, like, this is a scary thing. We Put do the not brakes. need to mess with it. Yeah. In fact, I think we should go do this and try to fix it, and he keeps saying, I can fix it. It's not that bad. Like, he doesn't believe her when she's saying, she's telling him the consequences and the yeah. severity, the seriousness of it. Huh. Which is an interesting kind of take on the whole thing. Um, and we, when we're talking about this, you might wonder, why is this trope so common? Mm-hmm. Probably you have a good idea, but um, <laughs> talk about it anyway. Uh-huh. Emily Asher Perrin, in that article that we referenced at the top, wrote, Every woman knows what this feels like. They know what it means. They know how hard the world works not to believe them. And this particular narrative device always feels like a pointed jab, a great big spotlight on that precise problem. It doesn't even matter if it's intentional. In fact, the idea that it might be unintentional makes it all the more poignant. Filmmakers and scriptwriters accidentally pointing out how women's fears are never taken seriously again and again. And why would she have that sense when no one else was bothered? Oh, you know, probably women's intuition. Hmm. But intuition is not a magical power granted to half the population by sheer random happenstance. (laughs) It's not the consolation prize you drew because the world calls you a woman. 
Intuition is an ability built up over time, powered partly by animal instinct and partly by learning and partly by experience. Any human being can tap into intuition, but women are constantly pegged as the humans who own this preternatural ability. Why? Because women are supposed to be on their guard every second of the day, because our very existence in the right skirt or pair of high heels is an invitation to untold abuses. Because we're not supposed to trust anyone, but we're supposed to be unfailingly sweet to everyone. Women are intuitive because tapping that intuition is something that we are encouraged toward from the day we were born for the sake of our safety and our lives. Yeah, you know, I... Women and people of color have to pay attention. We have to control how we move through the world more carefully. You know, we we make note of our surroundings. We pick up on nonverbal cues. It's a learned skill. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, I haven't seen this horror movie in a while, but I was thinking about um, in Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill, he says something along the lines of, you wouldn't believe how many people, like, even though they're scared, are too afraid to be rude. Oh, yeah, right. I remember that part. Yeah, like they'll put their safety at risk. And I feel that all the time where I do think that um, women are socialized to be so polite and so nice and so friendly, Mm -hmm. but also... Watch out. Watch out. Because it's your fault if anything happens. Right, yeah. I mean, if it really did happen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um. We, we do have some more history and science science about why uh, women um, and people of color are less likely to be believed. But first, we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So as we've said before on this show and in this very episode, horror movies are a great mirror to hold up to society, and this is no exception. On a large societal scale, we don't trust women. They're overdramatic. They overreact. Uh, People of color, too. They're unreliable narrators, all of us. Yeah. Um, And this goes back forever. Um, In the case of women, uh, in the case of people of color, that the modern concepts of race are relatively recent constructs um, created and perpetuated during globalization and the the slave trade to dehumanize and discredit enslaved peoples. And since then, popular culture has largely drawn people of color as unintelligent brutes. This pervaded in the United States via minstrel shows basically right up until the civil rights movement in the middle of the 20th century. Um, But, you know, although most people know that, like, blackface is bad— now, um, those biases are absolutely still part of our culture. Yeah. For women, um, there's an Egyptian pyrus from 1600 BCE. It's the oldest known medical text that actually describes depressive symptoms, and it blames women's mental health problems on their uteruses moving around their bodies making trouble. Yeah, the wandering uterus. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, hop over to ancient Greece a few centuries later. You get physicians talking about uterine melancholy. Um, Hippocrates gave us the first written mention of hysteria around 5 BCE, hysteria being described as anxiety and other symptoms in women caused by a bad and, again, wandering uterus. Mm -hmm. I don't know why they thought it detached. (laughs) Is it like a ghostly uterus? I don't know. No, I think it was physical because they they would give you, like, they would, like, put, like, 
good smelling things by your nose and like bad smelling things by your <laughs> by your vag if if they wanted it to move higher up in your body. Oh sure. And they would reverse that because it's very sensitive to smell. If they wanted it to move back down again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I um, know that's why they didn't let women ride trains for a while. <laughs> oh yeah. It's because they thought that like any sudden stop, yours oh, is just gonna <laughs> fly out. <laughs> Heck. Although that could have just been they didn't want women riding trains. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know for sure. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, in, in the case of ancient Greece, uh, the cure for this was generally having sex with men. Oh, of course. Because men were believed to be superior. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so <sighs> later those, those, uh, those beliefs were codified into religion. You know, Eve was physically mentally weaker than Adam, so she's the one who fell for the serpent's trick. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, the belief in women being irrational due to problems with their sex organs lasted into the 20th century. It's why why vibrators were invented. People were like, ladies, you you really need to, you can't be coming into the doctor's office (laughs) this often to get... Have a vibrator? To have orgasms. We need to give you a take-home method of solving this problem. They didn't call it orgasms then, but... Yeah. Well, one, that's one good thing, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, and I do want to put in here that, that, of course, it is completely possible for hormones to affect your mental health. But, like, dudes have hormones, too. Breaking news. <laughs> I'm sorry you had to learn it here. <laughs> but learn it, you did. Yeah. Um, if we If we bring all of this back to... The whole hashtag believer and Brett Kavanaugh thing. Um, when it comes to sexual assault, there has been some science looking into why we don't believe women, and it has to do with how the brain handles trauma. Yeah, survivors don't outwardly act how folks think they should. Instead of a sobbing mess, they might seem kind of cold, mm-hmm. and that's because a lot of survivors experience disassociation from their body. Also, a lot of times their memories might seem flimsy, which causes people to doubt them. But again, this is your brain shutting down all other functions that don't have to do with pure survival during a traumatic, potentially life-threatening event. And in some cases, it's not that you can't remember it. It's just you have difficulty retrieving it and describing it. Another thing the brain does that plays into this has to do with how it handles and often rejects new information that challenges accepted patterns or perceptions. If you find out a friend of yours, someone you've known for a long time, is accused of sexual assault, this challenge is something you've long held to be true, and your brain is like, nope. No. Can't be. Obviously not. Yeah, you can be presented with all these facts, and your brain is just, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> um, But it is interesting to point out that once a man gets involved, the story kind of changes. Yeah, Six women had accused Bill Cosby of sexual assault, and Tina Fey referenced these accusations twice, once on Weekend Update and another time on 30 Rock. But it was when the comedian Hannibal Burris called Bill Cosby a rapist and one of his bits that people started to think, oh, oh no, maybe we should look into this. <laughs> it took a man uh, to legitimize the conversation and yeah. lead to actual action. And... Just to drive this point home, in some countries around the world, rape allegations have to be corroborated by one or more men. And that used to be the case in some some states in the U.S. as well. Wow. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Another way to look at this whole thing is how in our society, 
we elevate the desires of men at the expense of women. Mm -hmm. Like in this whole conversation about Brett Kavanaugh, the accusers are destroying his life and his future. But never mind the lives and futures and just general well-being of the women involved. Right. Yeah. Oh, and in the 90s, the Philadelphia Police Sex Crimes Unit called themselves the Lion Bitches Unit. Huh. Yeah. That's <laughs> so sweet. Yep. <clears throat> yep. I, the article I read, they didn't seem too upset about getting found out either. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. Um, I, I read I read an excellent essay by Stephanie Merritt in The Guardian called The Cult of the Unreliable Female Nar- Narrator Must Be Stopped, um, in which she argues that society's disbelief of women is exactly what makes horror movies like the ones that we've talked about today so effectively frightening. Um, she, she says that because men are less vulnerable in our society, those creative works wouldn't have, quote, the same atmosphere of claustrophobic menace if the main characters were male. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like we could keep talking about this forever and keep bringing up examples forever, but that kind of reminds me of The Witch. Oh, yeah. Um, which what I found so frightening about that movie was um, it did such a great job of driving home to me why um, we we read about the Salem Witch Trials all the time, and it feels kind of, at least in my case, it's always felt kind of distant. Yeah. But that just brought home to me how there's no way to prove you aren't a witch. No one believed the main character, Thomason. Um, yeah, you, you can't prove that you're not possessed by yeah. a demon. And it was terrifying. Yeah. Um, no one believed her. And it, I think that's what made it so relatable is even if we're not exactly <laughs> trying to ward off accusations <laughs> of witchcraft. Although, I mean, you can see parallels certainly in, in some things. That idea of not being believed is scary and yeah, relatable. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that really... As a society, we don't want to believe women because uh, we don't want to have to deal with it. We don't want to have to deal with what it means and with having to do the work to to fix it, to combat what these women, all these women are saying is happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's the same reason that there's such pushback against Black Lives Matter because yeah. people are like, well, <laughs> you know, like that, that, that intrinsic response, that all lives matter thing is is essentially saying like there's no problem. Right. Like, why are you saying that there's a problem? Stop saying that there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> because if you admit that, then you have to admit that you have to work on it. Exactly. Right. That it, It's a lot of work, and and it is frightening. It's frightening. Um, so this... Yay! <laughs> yeah, Whee! Um, balloons. Balloons. Uh, oh, I just watched It recently. No balloons. <laughs> <laughs> no balloons. <laughs> So this brings us to the end of this episode, which I, I foolishly, when I pitched it to you, Lauren, thought it was going to be a much more cheerful thing. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, we can relate this to current events. <laughs> which are great. Yeah. <laughs> so much fun. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> but I, it, it was really enlightening to do as someone... Like I said, we, we both watch a lot of horror movies, and I, I'm going to guess that for a lot of you... You're not going to be able to unsee this now. Yeah. Uh, it's really everywhere. It is. It is. And I, I, I don't know. And I, and I do think that it's, it's 
It's an interesting and like culturally useful trope, especially in discussions like this. You know, like once you're aware of it, then yeah, hopefully you can do stuff to help change it. One would hope, and we're all about changing and growing for the better here. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, hopefully you'll you'll come back. We can talk some more horror movies yeah. or other things. I won't typecast <laughs> you. Whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> yes. No. I, I thank you so much for having me. This has been this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, and um, you can always find the both of us on Saver. We would love for you to come check that out. Yeah. Um, and I think I've mentioned before, I, I love fan fiction. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're we're trying to get a little, maybe a mini-series or on and off again series of reading stuff that you you listeners have written. So if you have any fiction, nonfiction, anything fan fiction <laughs> that you've created <laughs> that you are cool with us reading, on the air, please send it in. Um, we might even get some voices and some production, some production work into it. Um, and so, yeah, I would love for any of y'all to send send stuff like that in. Um, also, just um, another mini series we're thinking about doing is what's something your mom never told you? Because you know the show, we we'll get back to our roots a little bit. <laughs> so, if you have anything like that, we would love to hear it. You can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou. Thanks as always to our producer, Andrew Howard, and thanks to you for listening. Bye.